What's up, everybody? It's the Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. the Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and I just realized right now I didn't. Well, number one, I just muted myself, but to make it even worse, I didn't set my audio preferences. So I'm going to do it with all you guys listening. It's a really good way to start the podcast off. Probably sound better right now. Um, Hope you guys are all doing great today. We are actually recording this on a Thursday evening. So if the Pittsburgh Steelers signed Troy Brown out of retirement, we missed that. Um, I'd be heartbroken if that was the case. <laughs> You're right. Favorite Patriot. Is he, would he be in your top three favorite Patriots of all time? Top five. He's in the top five. He's my favorite. Okay, He's my favorite. Who's your favorite Minnesota Viking of all time? Percy Harvin. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Huh? No, it's not even okay. close. Percy's Percy's one of my favorite players ever. Maybe we should do that. We should do a power ranking show, all thirty-two teams. Marcus's favorite player of all thirty-two teams. It'd be just the most random thing. Oh, ever, it, it, that's it would not, be the names would be absolutely ridiculous. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I forgot to say that I'm pleased to be joined by at. Marcus underscore Mosher. Uh, I do have something random for all you guys. Well, actually, I don't. Marcus does. Marcus asked me all these, or a couple of really random questions the other night. And he said, hey, man, I got a bunch of these or a slew of these for our podcast. And can I just give you, can I, Marcus, can I say one of the sample ones that you gave me? Sure. So Marcus asked me, if you could take any NFL player, any player from history and you could have them switch positions and play a different spot, not like fullback to tailback, but something where they're really like changing positions, like just different to see what ball, would happen. Right. Yes. Just to see what would happen. You know, who would you take? And I, I thought about it. I thought about a couple of guys, but I said, man, I think I'd put Larry Allen at nose guard. And I would just have him blow up the center every single play. Just drive blocking. Because I know nobody would be able to block him one-on-one. He's too quick off the ball. Imagine if your center was getting blown up on literally every single down. How would you run an offense? So you I think could. that's what I would do. Yeah. Now ma- be imagine difficult. Larry Allen like an Aaron Donald next to each other. How much fun would that be? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Larry, you just tell Larry Allen, I want you to cross block, hit, hit the guy over Aaron Donald and Aaron Donald's just going to step over you guys and go make the play. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give my yeah, answer. So that was one of them. My, mine was Patrick Peterson. Like I, I, I think Patrick Peterson playing full-time receiver. I think he could have done it because we did see him do like it a couple times, right? We saw him actually as a receiver and he was pretty decent, uh, but I, you know, his entire career, if we got to see him actually focus on being a receiver, that'd be a lot of fun. This podcast, by the way, not sponsored by Super Coffee, the cold coffee drink in my fridge. <clears throat> uh, I need it today. Barely slept last night. Uh, I had a wild night of uh, Star Trek, uh, Assassin's Creed, Odyssey, and Restless Leg Syndrome. So and nachos. 
in nachos. Yes. <laughs> Very good call. So uh, that was one of the questions that you had for me, but you said that you had others. Um, and by the way, Patrick Peterson's a good call. Uh, Marcus have talked about this before, and I have talked about this before. I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast, but Patrick Peterson's first year in the league, he had four punt return touchdowns. Incredible. Took, I mean, that's insane uh, to have that many. There are great punt returners in the history of the NFL that have four for their entire mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. um, so good, good guy with the ball in his hands uh, for sure. Okay, so what do we, what else do we have? Yeah. I have no idea what's coming. Yeah, so I, I so. should start with say this. So the, the questions I'm going to ask you don't have a right or wrong answer. And some of these you can back up by statistics. Some of them are just what you think, right? And some of it's just players that you like. So example, first question, a nice easy one to start off. What is the best individual season you've seen from a non-quarterback? In NFL history. Oh, you got me because I had my answer ready to go. Non-quarterback. Because that's all we ever think about. We, we think about Dan Marino's, uh, was it, 84 season or Tom Brady's 2007 season. So outside of quarterbacks, what was your favorite season? Mm. By the way, I should mention that normally if somebody did this on a podcast, they've talked about it beforehand. and they Oh, yeah, there's no prep party. here. Yeah, I am. I have no idea what Mark is going to ask me. So I'm literally just naturally reacting. If I stuck with 1984, um, putting Dan Marino aside, I mean, Eric Dickerson running for 2105 one year after running for 1808 is pretty insane. Um, yeah. I, I think it's safe to say no running back in the history of the NFL will ever run for 3,900 yards their first two seasons ever again. No, But no. you also kind of threw in a little bit of a monkey wrench by saying your favorite. Yeah, this, um, but your favorite best season, right? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm going to go ahead and stick with the 80s just because I like defense so much. Not that we haven't had some great, I mean, dude, we, Aaron Donald, we already mentioned, J.J. Watt had some great seasons in the 2000s. But Lawrence Taylor's 1986 season was insane. First mm -hmm. of all, he had 20 and a half sacks uh, from the outside linebacker position in a day where he still had to drop sometimes and play other responsibilities. In fact, he had an interception in the divisional playoff where he dropped against the 49ers. Uh, it's the last season a defensive player was MVP of the league, Marcus. For a guy to have over 20 sacks, uh, I believe he had over 100 tackles. I'm not looking at it right now. Um, and for his team to win the Super Bowl, um, I, and then for him to be the last defensive player to win the MVP, I think that's pretty impressive. I mean, I I think he could put it up there against the greatest seasons of all time. I do. That's a very good one. Um, I think you obviously have to mention the 1987 Jerry Rice one, right? In 12 oh, heck games, yeah. he scored 22 touchdowns. But Reggie we're White Cowboy fans here, so we're not going to mention the 49ers. Uh, no, can hey, I, Reggie well, White, 21 sacks in 12 non-strike games that year. Because they had the, the player strike in 87. Yeah. My favorite. And there's seasons, I'm sure, that are better than this. And people are going to argue. But Rob Gronkowski's 2011 season, his second year Amazing. with the Patriots. He had 1,300 yards and 18 touchdowns that year. He was the most dominant receiving tight end in the league. And he was a fantastic blocker when he was young, right? Because he had so much power and he could move. 
I've never seen a tight end season that's anything close to that. Because normally, you know this, Elliot, like if you get a guy that's getting 1,300 receiving yards from a tight end, it's typically one of these guys that can't block at all, right? Like Travis Kelsey yep. or Jimmy Graham. But when, you, when you're when you also basically like an extra offensive lineman on the field at the same time, it's pretty incredible. He averaged 10.7 yards per target that year, which is just bonkers. Yeah, so – I think that's a great call. That was his second year in the league. He came out in 2010. Was he a second round pick? I think. Yes. Yep. Um, second round pick. Yep. And I think he was a young rookie. I think he was 21. So I think in 11, he's only 22 years old, but he's one of those guys as big a goofball as he is. People don't realize how good his football IQ is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just knew what he was doing out there. The game I remember from that season, they played a road game at Washington at FedEx. And, I think he had two touchdowns in that game, but he had one that he caught near the right sideline. He like broke a tackle, went deep all the way with it for a long touchdown. And I was like, this guy can block. He can break tackles. He's a great athlete. He knows what he's doing. And the funny thing is he was having this amazing year and he had this great game at Washington. And the only thing people talked about after that game was that Bill O'Brien and Tom Brady got into a yelling match on the sideline of that game. Do you remember this at all? I do. I do. Yeah. And people were like, who's the guy yelling at Tom Brady? And and then they came out after the game and say, all oh, those guys go at it all the time. You know, it's just two competitive personalities that want to win. And meanwhile, I'm like, did anyone see what Gronk did? I don't know what his numbers were for that particular game, but um, that's the game I remember from that year. Yeah, right, that's a good. One. I, I think Gronk from 2012 to about 2015. I think 15 was like his last really, really good season. I mean, I, I've I've never seen anything like it. So I'm I'm glad that you appreciate that one. All right, next one. Yeah. What player had the best season ever? Who never started a game? Basically, a guy that was either coming off the bench or was a rotational player that you think was phenomenal. I have a guy in mind, um, but I want I, I want to know if you have anybody. So basically, a reserve guy that you thought was awesome. Oh, God, if you need time to think, I'll give you my guy. Yeah, go go ahead. <laughs> Alden Smith never started his game his rookie season. Okay. Yeah. And he had 14 sacks for the 49ers, and he was a dominant, dominant player. He's one of the few guys that comes in right away and was a high producer as a rookie. And he wasn't in the starting lineup. He still he didn't even play a majority of the snaps because they were so loaded at linebacker. I'm not sure we've ever seen a bench player have that big of an impact before for a team. Well, you know, there, there's a couple of guys that I'm thinking of. I just wanted to look at the numbers here real quick to see if I'm misremembering. So I'm going to go with a guy very recent and very near and dear to Marcus Mosher's heart. I'm going Devin Hester, 2006, mm. Chicago Bears. I uh, didn't start a game. Uh, punt returns. He led the league in punt returns, punt return yards and touchdowns. And this isn't a deal where it's volume, and that's why he led. He averaged 12.8 yards per return, which was great. But although the next year he came back and averaged 15 and a half, uh, three punt return touchdowns. Then he had two kick return touchdowns. He averaged 26.4, which is a really good average. And by the way, the 2006 Bears defense, really good. So not a lot of opportunities for kick returns. 
uh, that year. And then in the Super Bowl, he didn't he take the opening kick to the house yep. against the Colts? Yep. yep. Uh, so that would be mine. If I were just going to pick a couple like little favorites, though, um, I'm going to I'm going to dip into my childhood, you know, fandom um, fit my childhood team, the Cowboys. Marion Barber didn't really start. Yeah. Uh, oh, but man, was he fun to watch in like 06 and uh, going even further back, excuse me, uh, 1992 Cowboys had a guy named Kelvin Martin Kmart. He was their third receiver and he always made the tough catch and he, he never got any credit really because they had Michael Irvin and Jay Novacek and, you know, even Alvin Harper was famous and Emmett Smith, but Cowboy fans remember Kelvin Martin was super clutch and a really good little punt returner for that team as well. But I think it's Devin Hester for me. You know it's really, you know really year, by the way. Yeah. What's that? Really funny. Uh, according to Pro Football Reference, if you sort by AV, uh, you actually named mm-hmm. like two of the top five players that started exactly zero games uh, and had some of the highest AV with Devin Hester and Marion Barber. The top two. Oh, I did a wow, little bit of research cool. here. Joseph Adai during the 2006 season because they had Dominic Rhodes was the starting running back. Mm-hmm, Joseph and mm-hmm. I had 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns for that team at never starting a game. Pretty incredible. Maurice Jones-Drew, 2007, 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns. Didn't start for them either. Uh, I should also mention Oz Hakeem, uh for the Rams. Didn't start for, on the Super Bowl teams, but still a really, really good player for them. But those are all good names. I know you, I know you love the NBA. I got to mention one name. Go ahead. Um, I've got to go way back here. But in 1988, 87-88, the Mavericks had a second-year player uh, named Roy Tarpley. And he had drug problems, and his career never got going. But he won six-man-of-the-year award. Marcus, the guy played like 20 minutes a game and averaged 11.8 rebounds per game. (laughs) I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And the Jazz had a guy named Thurl Bailey, and they wouldn't start him. They would start a guy named Mark Ivoroni, and then they'd bring Thurl Bailey in immediately. And Thurl Bailey played like 40 minutes a game, and they were trying to get him the sixth man of the year award just by not starting him. And Roy Tarpley still beat him, playing half the amount of time. And uh, whenever I think of a guy that didn't start, and oh, what his career could have been, that's my guy. But I just had to, uh, sorry to pull out a little NBA nope. on you. But. That's good. Uh, next question. Yeah. If you could push the restart button or the redo button on any player's career, but same circumstances, at, you know, get strapped by the same team, just goes to the same situation, but you just get to redo the career. Is there one guy that comes to mind? Um, because for me, the answer is Carson Palmer, right? At the chemo. Oh my God. Was that your answer? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yes. Okay, go ahead. I'll let you I'll let you talk about this one. I didn't mean to interrupt, but what are the chances of that? Yeah. You're talking about Carson Palmer with the Bengals, right? Yeah, of course. That, that, that is exactly, I, you know, I thought of a couple other names, and then I was like, oh, no, Palmer's better. Um, go ahead. You go. I just no, can't I believe just, that. He was so good in that season. I, I think it was, was it 2004? 2005, Five. right? 2005. Five. And then he gets to the playoff game against the Steelers, and he's playing well, and he throws a dime down the field. Kimo Van Ohoffen runs into his knee, and he tears his ACL. And it took him a long time, Elliot, before he could kind of bounce back from that. Uh, and he did later on in his career when he was in his late 30s. But, man, if he just doesn't get hurt in that game, I think we're talking about somebody that's a top-five quarterback for that entire decade. Man, you look at that 85, excuse me, 85, 2005 Bengals team, 
Uh, that ball down the sideline was caught by Chris Henry. Uh, perfect mm -hmm. throw. Chris Henry was the third wideout on that team. You had TJ Hushmanzada was the two, and Chad Johnson was the one. Uh, the, the tailback was Rudy Johnson, who was actually a really mm -hmm. effective player. They had a great left tackle in Willie Anderson, who was a consistent Pro Bowl player. They, um, I'm trying to remember if that might be before Jermaine Gresham. I'm trying to remember who their tight end was. Yeah, I think it was a little bit before that, I believe. Yep. But uh, that was the guy that I thought of. But since you already said him, um, you know, I, I, golly, well, there's two guys. Uh, there are quarterbacks, Roger Staubach and Steve Young. Uh, I've told you before that I think if there are two quarterbacks in NFL history that you could drop in the game today and they would be amazing, it'd be those two. But that's not why I'm answering them. Look at their careers. Roger Staubach spent four years in Vietnam. What if Roger Staubach, when he could run the ball like he could at the Naval Academy, played in his early 20s, you know, uh, for the those late 60s Cowboys teams that darn near won it all with Don Meredith. I mean, who knows how Roger... Roger Staubach could be legitimately looked at as the greatest quarterback of all time. Steve Young, ditto. Steve Young spent, what, a couple years in the USFL. Then he went to Tampa Bay, which was nowheresville. Then he gets traded to San Francisco, mm -hmm. and he's got to compete with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, at least up until Tom Brady. What if Steve Young got all those years back? Uh, Marcus, because Steve Young was already 31 by the time he became a starting quarterback full time. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really good one as well. I mean, there's a couple defensive guys like you do wonder. Uh, you wonder what J.J. Watt's career would look like if he was able to stay healthier. Right. He's you obviously bet. still a Hall of Famer. I, worry, I wonder about Bo Jackson. Right. What, what does Bo Jackson look like if he doesn't hurt his hip? Right. What, yeah. what numbers does he put up? That's a common one. Um, I can tell you that sometimes the hype train on Bo Jackson bothers me a little bit. This was not a guy involved in the passing game. He was a really explosive player, super explosive, and he played baseball part-time. But, I mean, I watched all Bo Jackson's games. Bo Jackson was incredible. He's really explosive. Like I said, Marcus Allen was a better all-around player. Uh, Marcus Allen could catch, block, mm -hmm. run, great inside the five. Um, anyway, uh, but that is not to take anything away from, from Bo Jackson at all. And you just, just wonder like two different one. If Joseph Randall doesn't get cut by the Cowboys, you know, he's <laughs> all <laughs> right. We don't draft Ezekiel Elliott. So, uh, Next up. I'll give you another one. You ready for a different question? Yeah. Best blocking tight end of all time. Now we're not talking about somebody that is a really good blocker and a good receiver, like Rob Gronkowski. I'm talking about the guys that are signed and they only play because they are blocking players. Like the best example in today's NFL is like Nick Boyle for Baltimore, mm -hmm. right? He's mm -hmm. 280 pounds and he catches two or three passes a year. Who do you think, in your opinion, best blocking tight end of all time? Well, I know from recent vintage, and I'm talking about in this kind of era of football, blocking tight end is not as important as it used to be unless you're a team like Baltimore that that employs the kind of attack that you do where your quarterback is part of your running game. Um, but when the NFL went with more of a pro set, which is two backs, two receivers, and a tight end, when teams would pull a receiver off the field and put in too tight with a fullback and a tailback, you were basically, you're doing exactly what they do on passing plays where they max protect, 
you're mm -hmm. max blocking. Um, the guy that I remember being great in the early to mid, uh, early to, or excuse me, late 2000s to the early aughts was Brandon Manu Maliuna mm -hmm. for the Chargers. The Bears signed him. Um, you know, the Chargers had Antonio Gates. And Antonio Gates, man, you look at his numbers in like 09. They're huge. They're they're massive. And Manu Maliuna's job was to do exactly what you're talking about. Um, the guy I go back to in history, though, that didn't catch a lot of balls um, he, he caught more than probably qualifies you this for this list because he caught over 200 was a guy named Don Warren. He played 14 years for the uh, Washington at the time Redskins and Washington ran that crap out of the ball under Joe Gibbs. And that's why this guy played 14 years because he could block. He was an honorary hog, their famous offensive line. And um, I, I think that's as good as anybody. I like it. Um, yeah, I. I think Nick Boyle is certainly in there. I think, man, Mercedes Lewis has made quite a career uh, for being basically yeah. just a blocking tight end. He was a first-round pick in like 2007, I believe, by Jacksonville. And he's still playing today, which is absolutely incredible. He uh, came on our power ranking show on NFL Network and uh, because he was a friend of MJD's, and MJD was kind of my foil on the show. Of course, you know, now I have you. <sighs> We're Sigh. both short and We're good. <laughs> but, uh, but Mercedes Lewis looks like a power forward. You know, he doesn't, oh, yeah. He doesn't really look like a what you would think of as a blocking tight end. He's, he's a little more, I don't want to say he's wiry. He's built, but he's not like a he's long extra tackle out there. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I I uh, I think that's a great call. He played a, he's played a long time in the league. All right, next one. Who is a player that you loved? Like just you thought was so much fun that you just know wasn't very good, but you loved them anyways. Or a guy that no. you thought was maybe way better than everybody else did, and maybe it proved out that way. But I'll give you an example. Okay, I loved. Loved Lance Dunbar, one of my favorite players probably ever for the Cowboys. And I listen, I you don't think he ever started a game for Dallas. His yardage and stuff was never great. Just somebody that I thought was a really good player. Uh, that's that's somebody that I've always irrationally loved. What about for you? Oh, uh, gosh, oh man. Well, like when you're a kid. You'd get these football cards, and a guy looked good on his card. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you, you know, and then you realize when you're older that he ran for like 324 yards. That's okay. That's what and, we're talking about here, though, right? Guys, you just irrationally yeah. liked. Um, obviously, my childhood team was Dallas, so I have a I have an '80s cowboy that fits the exact bill you're talking about. But if I go a little bit more modern than that, um. You know what? I will admit that my fan, I like, I like Michael Gallup a lot, okay. a lot. That's good. And I like the way he plays. I like the fact that he was a little bit of a slow developer and Cowboys fans were ready to already kind of give up on him in 2018. And, um, I think he plays hard and I feel like Amari Cooper and CD lamb got all the publicity. And I'm like, they're really not that much better than him. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm a little biased. That would be a very recent guy that I probably irrationally like. Um, but that's not as good as Lance Dunbar. I mean, you really, you really, you know. I'll give you another one. 
you Dexter went Trung McCluster. candidate. You went Trung candidate on me there. <laughs> Dexter McCluster for the Chiefs. I yeah. loved him coming out of college. I even thought he was a pretty decent player in the NFL. Uh, it never turned out to be as good as I think Chiefs fans were hoping, but I always thought he was he was really fun. I'm trying to think. That is such a a wide, wide ranging question. Oh yeah, that yeah. that is really like hard to to you know parse out. Um, golly, I got to think about that one, bro. I got to, there was a cowboy named Ron. There was a cowboy named Ron fellows in the eighties who was a defensive back with Everson walls and he wasn't as good, but I liked his number. It's the first number I ever wore in football. My very first football Jersey, this was his number and it was, was his number. And, uh, so I irrationally liked him. His nickname was the bird and, um, yeah, he played for the Cowboys for, for six years, but I really wanted to give you somebody, um, somebody really recent. I'm going to keep thinking about this one. We're going to come back to this one. Yeah, Jamaica Rector is another guy that the Cowboys had in 2006. Jamaica Rector. <laughs> Nobody knows who Jamaica Rector is. It's okay. Uh, best short yardage running back of all time. I'm not talking about the guy like Emmett Smith necessarily, who was really good on short yardage, or Barry Sanders, but I'm talking about third and inches. You have to get this yard. Who who do you want touching the ball there? There's two guys. There's two guys. And for me, it's so easy, and they're both in the Hall of Fame, and I don't care. It's John Riggins and Marcus Allen. Um, Marcus Allen, Marty Schottenheimer called him the best short yardage back he had ever seen. If you look at Marcus Allen's rushing touchdowns, uh, Marcus, it's, you know, because Marcus Allen is not one of the NFL's all-time leading rushers. Don't get me wrong. He's got a lot of yards rushing. But he he falls behind as famous as Marcus Allen is. He falls behind the Curtis Martins and those guys, guys that aren't aren't even the Barry Sanders level. But he so like Marcus Allen had twelve thousand yards rushing. He had one hundred and twenty three rushing touchdowns. Um, so you're talking about like basically every thousand yards he had about ten touchdowns rushing. Um, he was kind of tall and lanky, and he knew how to turn his body so he could slick almost like slither in between guys or he would jump over the line or he just had these really smooth moves with long legs and it was hard to read him going to the edge john riggins ran for more third and ones and fourth and ones than anybody i've ever seen you couldn't stop him even if you knew what play was coming you couldn't stop it uh in the 82 nfc championship game the uh, washington ran the same rushing play seven plays in a row against the Cowboys defensive line with Randy White and two tall Jones and the Cowboys couldn't stop them. They just kept running John Riggins behind Russ Grimm and Joe Jacoby and forget it, you know? So those are my guys. I, I like it. I, go ahead. Give me your TJ Duckett. Give me your Zach Crockett and TJ. Duckett. Yeah, there you go. That's the name. It's Zach Crockett. Honestly, I, Zach Crockett is really good. This is the second time we're going to mention this guy in the podcast. Marion Barber was incredible. Yep, on yardage. He just had a unique style. I, I don't want to turn this into a Cowboys show, but he got so low and he almost like jumped at the bottom of like everybody's legs and they couldn't tackle him. Uh, a lot of fun. But Zach Crockett is the answer for me. Anytime that he, that the Raiders brought him in, he always got it every single time. <laughs> I just love that you're going with Zach Crockett. I mean, it's, it's the just... right answer. It's okay. I did irrationally like Dan Campbell when he was a blocking tight end on the Cowboys. Yeah. Irrationally, because he didn't yeah. do much. But 
Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Scott Fujita. I, I always irrationally like Scott, Scott Fujita. There you go. That's a good I answer. love Scott Fujita with Kansas City when he was with KC. But he was pretty good with Kansas City. So I'm also cheating on that one, too. Uh, all right. Last Jeff Blake. One. Uh, Sorry. Now you got me on a roll. Jeff Blake with Cincinnati. I irrationally liked watching Jeff Blake throw the moon balls. He threw the sweetest looking deep ball you've ever seen. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Last one I have for you. The, the floor is yours. Um, what team in NFL history that you do you think was the most fun? It doesn't have to be a team that won the Super Bowl. It doesn't have to even be a team that made the playoffs. But a team that you just really enjoyed watching because either they were different or you liked the players. But the team that you think is the most fun. Oh, again, I have a couple of candidates here. I didn't root for them at the time because my neighbor loved them so much that I got sick of hearing about them, but I really enjoyed watching their games. And that was the late eighties, early nineties, Houston Oilers with Warren moon, Haywood Jeffries, Drew Hill, Curtis Duncan. They ran the run and shoot offense. Back then, Marcus, nobody ran four wide. Nobody did. And Warren Moon, if he wouldn't have gotten banged up in 1990, uh, would have thrown for over 5,000 yards. Uh, he would have broken Norm Van Brocklin's 554 yards passing if he didn't get pulled from a game against Kansas City. Um, that game was fun. They were coached by Jerry. The team was fun. They were coached by Jerry Glanville, and they hit really, really mm -hmm. hard. And Jerry Glanville would like leave tickets for Elvis and stuff, like his own personal tickets. Yeah. yeah. He's just, he wear these big old belt buckles on the sideline. And they were a fun team to watch, but I didn't root for them. So mm -hmm. that kind of cancels it out a little bit. <laughs> uh, I've got one that I, I really enjoyed. The yeah, because you researched all these. <laughs> no, no, I didn't research this. This is just, this is, I just thought of it. Or you thought, oh. you thought about it. I got to think of the answers. Yeah, I had a little bit of a, yeah. I got to cheat a little bit. 2008 Miami Dolphins. When they oh, were yeah. running the Wildcat all the time yeah. with Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams. It was fun because it was so different, right? And my favorite thing about them is they did it all the time. And they had a lot of success. I think they went 11-5 and five that season. They won mm -hmm. the division, right? Um, everybody tried to copy them the following year, remember? Everybody yeah. was running some version of the Wildcat. Nobody had success like they did. Uh, it was just, it was so different and it was a lot of fun. The most unfun team in the league in 2008, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the yeah, a couple other teams. Jones, what are you talking about? <clears throat> a couple other teams, though, that were fun to watch in 08 specifically. Uh, Tennessee. They had Chris Johnson and Lindell White, and they went yeah. old school with Kerry Collins at quarterback, and they got the top seed in the AFC running the crap out of the ball. Uh, another really fun team in 2008 were the Patriots because Matt Castle played the entire year at yeah. quarterback. They went 11-5. and five. And you also you mentioned Miami, but you didn't mention Chad Pennington. I mean, part of the reason that they had to run the Wildcats so much is because of Chad Pennington. Come on. And I he like Chad. Well. I've met Chad before. I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a couple other ones, though. The 99 Colts were pretty cool. Uh, they got good. They had Peyton Manning, Edron James, and Marvin Harrison. And you watched them play, and you're like, golly, these guys are going to be really good. But they were all so young. And nobody cared about the Indianapolis Colts, you know? Nobody yeah. cared at all. 
The greatest show on turf Rams don't fit that bill for me because everyone talked about them every week and they gave them their own nickname. And so to me, that wasn't as fun. Um, I think the team that will get that answer though, all time is going to be the 85 bears because the 85 bears had so much personality. They did a a music video. They had a rookie nose tackle with a huge gap in his mouth when he smiled that carried the ball, caught the ball. You know, uh, they had maybe the greatest defense of all time. They had a quarterback who rolled his sleeves up and wore a headband that said Pete Rosell on it. I mean, they were, they were, you know, they had a, you know, tight ass coach in Mike Dicka and they carried their defensive coordinator off the field, even though the coach and defensive coordinator fought all the time, buddy Ryan. I mean, they're, they're tough to beat, man. Um, and they had Walter Payton, you know, uh, that's, that's a tough one to beat. Really tough one to beat. Yeah, that's a good one. 2003 Dallas Cowboys, get any mention? Hey, if we're going to talk about best coaching jobs <laughs> I've ever seen by a head coach, if you ask me that, I I'll didn't put ask you that. Bill Parcells, 03 Cowboys up there for sure. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's you know all the best the co- coaching job. What's the best <laughs> coaching job you've ever seen? Um, That's a good one. Mike Tomlin in 2019 had a really good one with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph playing a lot of the season. And they went eight and eight, but they actually went eight and six with those two guys. That was a really good season. I'll give you a couple that we already mentioned from 08. Bill Belichick's job with Matt Castle. Sure. Going 11 and five. Uh, Tony Sperano with uh, Miami. Um, I think the best coaching job I've ever seen I know there's a lot of baggage that comes with this and it ended terribly wrong, but I think the farther we get away from it, we realize a lot of it might've been on the GM. The job Jim Harbaugh did turning the 2010 49ers into what they became. Sure. Bro, they went from a team that was a laughing stock that couldn't keep an OC one year to the next to literally being a juggernaut that nobody wanted to play. Nobody wanted to play those guys. I also don't want to forget Mike Frabel this year. I know it's it's sometimes it's you love easy him more so than that happened last year and how the playoffs played out. But they had they were the number one team in the AFC. That they had the number one seed. Derrick Henry missed more than half the season. AJ Brown missed a lot of time. The Julio Jones trade was a complete flop. Their first round pick never played a game. Their first round pick in twenty twenty got cut before the season even started. Um, they had injuries galore and that team went won 13 something games like this year. I mean, they were, and they beat a lot of good teams, right? They crushed the Rams and they beat the the chiefs. And I mean, they, they had some incredible wins last year. Well, since you talk Cowboys a lot, uh, I, I will give you one that is, was very fun for older fans. Uh, this, your dad probably loved this team. The 1975 Dallas Cowboys came out of nowhere to make the Super Bowl. They had 12 rookies make the team. That, in an era where you don't have free agency and you can keep your veterans, to have 12 rookies make the team is insane. And then to make the Super Bowl, uh, and they darn near, I mean, they gave the Steelers one of the greatest teams of all time, all they could handle. It's 21-17, but... um, the Cowboys were also the first wild card team in the modern era uh, since the merger to make the Super Bowl. Um, and so that that would be a good one. But that's going back in NFL history. And I didn't watch that team. I, you know, 
So <clears throat> I didn't, you know, I hesitate to bring up teams that I barely watched, but uh, it's a good one from history. Uh, I, I, I lied. I have one more question for you. And I know okay. we, we, we've been very positive on this show. So you know me, I'm oh. not a positive person. So it's time to, it's time to be a little negative. Okay. What is the worst performance by an individual player you've ever seen in a game? Boy, I I don't want to say this because it's last year, but this is obvious recency bias, which you can't accuse me of because I always deep in, dig into NFL history, but Kyler Murray uh, was awful against the Rams last mm. year. I think the whole offense was awful, but he was awful. And I'm kind of combining it with then this drama that happened after the season. I'm like, how do you end a season like that and then – but is that fair to say that's the worst performance? No. Um, Adrian Peterson, I'm going with games that are big stakes. I think Adrian Peterson fumbled four times in the 09 NFC Championship, the game that Favre constantly gets mm -hmm. blamed for, for throwing that cross-field pass that Tracy Porter picked off. I think Peterson fumbled four times and lost three of them, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um but statistically, bro, I watched this game as a kid. I did not know anything from anything. I just remember being my on because my older brother loved the Dolphins. 1982 AFC Championship. I, I don't think, Marcus, you're going to be able to top this. I, I've got I've, I've to just read you the stat line. This is about as awful as you can get from a player with the Super Bowl on the line. The Jets had a quarterback named Richard Todd. And let's just see. I'm going to read you these stats, bro. Um, how am I doing so far? Are these two uh, deep dives? Yeah, these are good. Uh, I, I know I saw the Kyler Murray. I'm guessing you think I'm being a little strong, and I probably am. But I, I just thought of the first one that came to my head, and it's recent, you know. Okay. Here we go. Sorry, I'm not as quick on the, on the draw as Marcus is. With, right. uh, okay, here we go. 1982, uh, AFC Championship game. The Jets lost to the Dolphins 14 to nothing. Richard Todd, the Jets' starting quarterback, went 15 of 37 for 103 yards. <laughs> that's, hey, that's 2.8 yards per attempt, Marcus. Yikes, yikes. For zero touchdowns and five interceptions. He got sacked four times. Uh, his adjusted yards per pass attempt, would you like to guess what it was? One. Negative 3.3. Yeah, that's pretty bad. You're going to top mine then. Okay. Uh, my This player that I'm going to mention actually had games that were worse than this, but this one happened in prime time, and that's why it sticks out. And a lot of people watch this game. Do you remember when the Vikings I don't they either signed or traded for Josh Freeman a few days before a Monday night oh, football man. game against the Giants. And yeah. they put him into the starting lineup. And they, again, a lot of this isn't Josh Freeman's fault. Uh, no, I don't I even know how much time he had to learn the playbook. But he was 20 of 53. That's a 37% completion percentage. 190 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. Now, there's been games where you can, there's been quarterbacks that have thrown four or five interceptions and no touchdowns. I get it. But if you go back and watch that game, 
it was <laughs> ugly. I mean, it was it was really bad. It was it was physically hard to watch, and I just remember it being one of the the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen. The um, nineteen ninety, the Minnesota Vikings played uh, Philadelphia on uh, Monday Night Football. And the big deal in 1990 with the Vikings was that the Herschel Walker trade was was not working out. The Vikings traded a King's ransom to get Herschel Walker. Everyone's heard of the Herschel Walker trade. 1990, it's not working out. And this is like the Vikings have a primetime game early in the year, and it's going to showcase what they, you know, that Herschel's, you know, going to come back and they're going to use him right. He had three carries for three yards, and I think he fumbled on all three carries. And he... And he caught two balls. I think he had five touches and three fumbles in front of a primetime audience. And people realized, yeah, the Vikings. It mean, meanwhile, Dallas, like I said, got a King's ransom and built their Super Bowl teams with the draft picks they got from the Herschel Walker trade. So there you go. Well, that's all the questions I have, Elliot. So um, I'll give I'll give you the final word before we head out. You sounded you, you sounded so canned right there. Well, that's all the questions I have, Elliot. That's, that's all. I I literally read through them all. We, I, I wrote them all down in this little sheet. And we're all out. I'm not supposed to get the final word. Well, on I'm the, just giving uh, it to you. There you go. Well, I would say this that I think it's really fun to to think about these kinds of questions because <clears throat> you really have to. It's hard to filter out your bias. You know, but I think it's amazing that, you know, we're two different age groups on different, you know, in different parts of the country or on the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast. And you asked me what player, you know, his career we could redo and our minds both went to the same guy that played for the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, mm -hmm. that is very, it's crazy. And I think part of it was that, you know, Carson Palmer was highly touted to it to a degree, but this wasn't when USC was yet, uh, they weren't a powerhouse yet. This was early in Pete Carroll's tenure with USC. I think Palmer won the Heisman, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. He was the number one pick in 03. And Marvin Lewis was the Bengals' new head coach. And Marvin Lewis sat him the whole year. They played John Kitna, Carson Palmer's entire rookie year. I don't even know if he threw a pass. I'd, I'd have to look. But I don't, I, I think he barely played, if, if, if at all. And 04 was his first year to really even play. And so 2005, he just came out of nowhere. Yeah, so 03, Marcus, Carson Palmer doesn't even have a stat. He, did, he didn't play at all. Um, let's see here. Let me just make sure I'm not crazy. Yeah, he went first overall. 04, he finally got to play. And then 05, um, he led the NFL with 67.8% completion. He led the NFL with 32 touchdown passes. He led the NFL in touchdown percentage. He led the NFL in lowest sack percentage, so he got rid of the ball. His passer rating was 101.1. In 2005, that's a really good passer rating. Mm -hmm. His TDINT ratio, 32 to 12. Uh, the only stat he had that wasn't like remarkable was yards per attempt was only 7.5, which is still pretty good for... 2005 right you know what that his year was a little bit like patrick mahomes when patrick sure. mahomes finally got the keys granted not to that level right but i don't do you think most football fans remember how good carson palmer 
what his trajectory was going to be? No, I think a lot of people probably remember him as a Cardinal, actually, right? Because it's been so long since we kind of seen him as a good quarterback for the Bengals. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, um, he had a great year in 2015. So did Andy Dalton. Dalton got hurt towards the end of the year, but Cam Newton ran away with the MVP because his numbers were just his rushing numbers and stuff on top of throwing the ball were incredible. But um, yeah, I, I thought Palmer was an MVP candidate in 2005. So I think that's the year um, <clears throat> Sean Alexander won it. But uh, back when running backs could actually still win the award. When they when still mattered. Was, when someone besides a quarterback could actually win the award, uh, it was kind of cool. So, yeah. Anyway, a little bitterness there. there. That's the show, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm supposed to uh, – I was debating, do I want to end the show now or do I want to make my Debo Samuel complaint uh, here about the MVP? All right, I, I won't. Save so, yeah, he's almost uh, locked on Cowboys – at Marcus underscore Mosher. You can uh, follow his work there with uh, Landon McCool. Uh, he and Landon do a great job for that podcast. Marcus also covers the Raiders for USA Today. I'm at Harrison NFL on Twitter. And I'm just going to put this out there again. Really love it if you guys gave us some feedback on what you like, what you don't like, especially with the offseason here. Um, you know, we just want to make sure that we're giving you the most entertaining podcast we can because uh, it's fun for us, but uh, it's always good to know that, uh, you know, people like what you're doing. So with that, we will talk to you uh, next week.